0: And welcome to this episode of the I Hate Matt Wall podcast, where we are going heavier, boardier, with our good pal, Andrew Witstep. Today we're going to talk about all sorts of shit, but before we do that, son, I need to talk to you guys about some things, okay? So, again, episode 100 is coming. I need you guys to send me questions. I want to hear your voice. So grab your little rectangles and go, Uh, Matt, um, I want to know if... uh... Okay? And then you hit the little square with the arrow going up, and that's going to share it. That's going to send it to me. And you pick your email provider thing from the list that pops up, and then you just type in IHateMattWall at gmail.com. In the subject line, put question for episode 100. Okay? You could ask as many or as few one. As you want, okay? So get those to me because episode 100 is right around the corner. I think this is episode 90 or 91 or 92. Again, the last couple episodes I made it clear that I have no idea how to count, okay? So get those to me and we will get this show on the road as quickly as humanly possible. So that's going to be awesome. Blood Shed Review Issue 2 is up now. Um, By the time you're hearing this, I think Drinking Less is going to be up. I know I've been um, teasing that for some time, um, but I did a live stream um, on YouTube with everybody yesterday where I individually made each cover extremely unique with its own Weinstein. So that was fun. And I even said Harvey Weinstein. Oh my fucking God. The things we do, people. The things we do. Pretty soon we're going to have an interview with Mindy Simmonson. We're going to have an interview with Dimitri Reyes. We're going to have an interview with Charlie Vaughn. And you might not know who Charlie Vaughn is right now, but you will once I'm through with him. Okay? And then we have a bunch of other stuff. And I'm going to be doing a lot of reading poetry on my YouTube. So if you are on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to Matt Wall Poetry and Publishing. Just type in Matt Wall and look for the cute face with the busta over the top of it. You know, this guy. But if you saw that, that means you're already on YouTube. So, how the fuck is this supposed to work?
1: All right. So, with that said, have
0: you subscribed to Heavy Board yet? There's going to be a link down below. And if you haven't subscribed to Heavy Board yet, like we're going to have some words. So, subscribe to Heavy Board. And now, without any further
1: caca, on with the slow. You know, celebrities, especially, they. And this is what Lerner gets into too. I think he misdiagnoses it in his book, but it's, there's a reverence. There is a sacredness built into particularly poetry, right? This is literally the oldest art form besides, you know, cave paintings. I guess technically drawing is the oldest, but even before we had written languages, you know, this was oral. This was people reciting memorized lines or a memorized story to a group of people sitting around a campfire or something. <clears throat> that was somebody's job, you know. And then when we have written languages, we can preserve it and things like that. But it's a, it's a sacredness. It's, it's, it's this old ancient art form that people want to be a part of. And I think celebrity artists, particularly, so, you know, Franco, an actor or musicians Mm -hmm. like Lana Del Rey or Jim Morrison, they want to participate in that kind of reverent kind of oldest art form, even if they don't do it well. Like you said, Yeah. yeah, anything can be a poem. Sure, we can call these things poems, but it doesn't mean it's a good poem, right? There is, you know, good and bad things and judgment is important, but... There is but like you said,
0: of... you said earlier, like there's like critically acclaimed books that you read and you're like, I don't fucking get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So where does like the objective and the subjective,
1: like where did those meet and begin and shit? Whew, uh it's an age-old question I'm constantly trying to figure that out because it's both it yeah. is both like I, I could say that there's objective clear and present standards of structure of technique that we can point to and say this is well done this is what a good poem does but then there's that what we talked about earlier right that internal kind of reaction you have to a piece of art or a poem and that counts for a lot too. So I I just, there's this constant balancing and I just, I guess I'm trying to just encourage people to be mindful of both. Because if, like I said at the beginning, if we go one way or the other with those, we start to lose what makes this thing so special, or at least feel special. And like, I keep saying the word sacred, but like, I do treat it as kind of, I'm not a religious person, but it's like, and I don't like to substitute something like an art form for religion, but there is something to that. Like there's a mysticism around it, these things that make us feel things. So I can read a poem from somebody who's been dead hundreds, thousands of years, and I can feel what they mm-hmm. were trying to get me to feel yeah, that's special, you know, like that. And, you know, you see this with all a lot of different arts too, paintings, movies, you know, music. You can listen to music from old times and feel that kind of, wow, that's powerful. You know, like yeah. you feel something from it. And uh, it's always so hard to talk about that too. I guess what I really try to do is is try my hardest to articulate that internal reaction to this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as a definitive answer, I don't know. I mean, it's, and this is why we say it's subjective, but because it is and it isn't, right? Like, there's, I think this is what makes it so much fun to talk about. I think this is what makes it so interesting. I think it's what makes, you know, people like us do podcasts about it because we are constantly searching for why do I like this? Why don't I like this? You know, is it structural or is it just, I don't like the taste? You know, I don't like his yeah. choice of words or that's kind of a corny image. You know, I don't know. Uh, But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, interesting as hell. Hopefully I'll dedicate my life to it, but. (laughs) No,
0: I I totally agree with you there, dude. And then I'm like thinking like, like, because you made some points about someone says stuff like this is a lesbian Latina poet. Now read their stuff. (laughs) <laughs> like i can't remember the phrase you used for that but is since a lot of how we appreciate art is how it makes us feel does that mean like knowing that stuff is more helpful in order to be touched by it if you fall into that category or is it like because i think you guys were using the term limiting
1: uh yeah and i think this is what uh i if I'm remembering, I think that's the Carl Phillips, his uh, book of criticism, really, quoted the realm where he talks about this. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's probably correct about it. Yeah, there is this, you know, if that's the reason that you like something, that's fine. Perfectly valid reason to like somebody for identitarian reasons or, you know, it's trendy right now to do that too. So sure, you want to like that, fine. But it is, you know, if that's the only reason that you mm. like something, It is kind of limiting. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Like you need to have more there than just liking it because like, like I like poets from LA, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go buy Lana Del Rey's book. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, I, okay, I get what you mean now. I
1: mean, it's, you know, it's just this overemphasis. It's kind of a narrowing. So if we're going to like, he does it. Phillips talks about it in terms of kind of the racial obsession we have now, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Where you do see people overpraising things that are just kind of okay or mediocre, but because they fit the right groups that are meant to be in the trend right now. I'm sure it'll be a different trend in 10 years, you know, but right now this is what it is. And it's just, yeah, I mean, is it good because it fits the trend right now or is it good because it's good, you know? I mean, mean, is
0: that more of a, like a white knighting thing that you're talking about? (laughs) Or is it like a, because like if let's say well this is one that i hear everyone bitch about every fucking five seconds so amanda gorman okay (laughs) so when a white guy starts talking about how important amanda gorman is are you just like oh this fucking guy and then (laughs) but if like a black woman is like oh my god amanda gorman's so important and here's why like do you take that with, like, more, oh, tell me more. Like, let me hear more about this. Like, do you, like, immediately turn off the white guy saying that?
1: No, not necessarily. For me, I would turn off both just because if they're praising Amanda Gorman, you know, I would be like, I probably don't <laughs> want to listen to you. Uh, I think there is that, you know, it's something you have to yeah. grapple with now in the literary world and really everywhere now. that You just yeah. have to grapple with the kind of obsession with identitarian politics and who's allowed to say what, when, okay. uh, there are rules now, you know? And then people like us are like, why are there rules to the, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like, why are we, why are we putting rules on this? Like, why can't I say, you know, what I but, like or dislike or
0: you said something and I don't know enough about Carl Phillips to give a shit about this, but you said <laughs> that like he's backed off on a lot of this stuff since, cause like, um, cause like this came out in 2004, um facebook came out in 2005 twitter came out in 2007 and youtube came out in 2006 so like he was like right before all this shit and he says all this stuff so what has he walked back on if you know uh
1: he just doesn't like to talk about it i wouldn't say he's walked it back necessarily and i'm sure if you talk to him if we were just getting a drink or something he would be more than happy to talk about it honestly i just think Uh, Particularly in the last seven years, you know, it was really, it was 2015 when everything kind of, this became the ultimate rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think he did it one, because if he didn't, if he did stand and constantly bring it up, there would be some ostracization of his reputation or his standing in the world. Uh, And he's very well respected and he's earned that, you know. Uh, over many years of putting out really good poems but uh you know he's a harvard trained guy so he views it kind of in the harold bloom sense where it's like you know it really doesn't matter what matters is one that reaction and then yeah the kind of subjective things we can point to structurally and things and say oh this is good or bad but then there's also that kind of just personal you know warm feeling you get out of uh, reading something you would love um but he walked back the kind of and the example he used in that book is the Langston Hughes poem, kind of the black arts movement of the 1960s, which oh, is yeah, a very yeah. protest, protest heavy era mm-hmm. for good reason. We all know why. I mean, you yeah. know, very good reason for that. Uh, but then he's talking about looking back now, 50 years later, 60, 70 years later, like, uh, does it hold up? Right. Or is it too obsessed with the moment that it was created in? Kind well, that's thing.
0: what I was going to hit you, you know? up with too. Like, because like, I mean the wasteland Like, how does that fall into this? Because that was a direct um, reaction to the war. So how how does that fit into that? Um, Or is that so broad that it doesn't matter?
1: Well, I guess everybody has their own opinions on uh, Elliot, but... I guess the goal, right? And Bloom says this, Phillips says this, everybody who's trained in that same vein, because, you know, Phillips was probably trained by Helen Vendler over there at Harvard. And they would say that uh, the wasteland transcends that time period because it could be broadened out to something greater. It could yeah. be, you know, talked about a war now, uh, even you could read that. Um, I think Yates war poems, the same thing. And then, you know, things that is it does it transcend the time it was written in or is it a period piece you know that was something we look back on preserve because it's part of the history but like is it really you know on the level of i don't want to say life changing but just resonating with almost anybody that reads it you know or did yeah. you have to be there did you have to be in the moment and uh You see it now, you know, trends run in circles. We're kind of repeating the 1960s right now in some ways. In other ways, we're not because it's a different time, you know, but uh, artistically, and you're seeing some movement against this. You're seeing something so that, you know, they're always changing. The trends are always changing. So it's shifting one direction. It'll shift another direction in five years. And my goal is just to not be too captured by whatever's happening, you know? Yeah. And like, try to not. And I guess the real thing is. You gotta be you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you gotta be you. Exactly, yeah. And it's like, yeah, do you like this thing because you like it, or do you like it because it adheres to what you're told to like, you know, kind of thing.
0: And it's really hard right now because a lot of writers are taught if they want to be successful or make any money doing this, that you have to be up on trending topics. And if you can hit stuff that's trending, like, you'll go viral. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's kind of the double-edged sword there,
1: I guess, for a lot of people. The kind of the Maggie Smith phenomenon and the Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, yeah, if you go viral now, you can make your whole career made. I always tell people this, like, mainly because I'm a Twitter addict. I'm addicted to it. But it's like. Twitter is the world now like Instagram is the world now if it happens on Instagram even if it didn't happen in the real world it will eventually be like memed into existence like it will eventually happen (laughs) so where it's like these weird I mean social media did I don't know who's responsible for this or what and you know blaming people's not always the best way to go about it but uh, it's just I mean how do you blame people for a cultural milieu you know these these devices were invented these addiction software social media were invented and now it's just the whole world runs through those Instead and five of, years from now we're yeah. going to be like
0: talking about how ai has destroyed everything that yeah. you care about. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's interesting with that too the ai
0: there i mean it's like every it, week there's something new that's yeah. like crazy and it's just like how did that already get that much better in like a week dude oh it's fucking crazy like what you were saying about Elliot like you might know this I I'm not aware when the wasteland came out did like the average public know that it was in response to the war
1: I don't know enough I the average public I would assume no um just because the average public I assume, wasn't reading well like, like the average stuff, but the
0: average person who was
1: reading poetry at the time uh, probably because that okay. was a huge deal. I mean, yeah. you know, the world wars were a pretty big deal yeah. to everybody uh, that lived through them. You saw all the modernist writers. They all had to write a war book because they yeah. were all drafted to go over there. Oh, and like, yeah, they had to get shot at. And, I just, <laughs> I don't no know. Land, um,
0: Cause but, I know how Elliot like, like specifically tried to, confuse people with what was going on so i didn't know if in his um because i've never read the stuff that he wrote that was trying to fuck people around like that so i don't know if like he was like oh no this is really about just like eating bacon you know
1: like Yeah. And modernists, I guess modernists have that reputation for purposely overcomplicating things to one is part of like kind of an intellectual game, I think. Mm -hmm. And then also part of trying to push the art form. You know, how many meanings can you get into this one sentence kind of thing? And then they all could possibly work. Right. Like that's technique. That's that's skill. You know, you have to develop that. That's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if everybody's trying to do that, well, then everybody's going to, you know, competition does matter in a certain sense where, yeah, do it for yourself, do your own thing. But, you know, you are all human. You can't help but looking at the person next to you who just put out a book being like, that's pretty good. I got to step up my game. You know, like that's, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, uh there is something to that. And then there's something to just wanting to fuck with people. I think, you know, this is the beats I think would do that yeah, too. For real. In their they would try to purposely obscure or describe things in a way that made them unusual or new. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: um, on a completely other note, I just remembered something. Um, you guys were talking about um, the trees, the trees, and you were like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know why this book is called The Trees of the Trees. There's barely any trees in it. <laughs> and I was thinking about it and I'm like, I wonder if she was like hitting the whole thing like I can't see the forest through the trees and like each one of my poems is a tree but I can't see the collection through it because of all of the like and I'm just like, wow, that's so I, I made up a whole idea of why the book's called that and then I'm like oh, what an
1: idiot. <laughs> well, I think this is the reason I, I avoid writers kind of after the fact rationalizations because like, you know, when you're writing something and you know this, and I know a lot of listeners probably know this too, you know, you don't really know why the fuck you did something, right? Like it was just kind of a subconscious thing mm-hmm. that happened. You're like, oh, I kind of like that, you know? And then people keep asking you about it in interviews and things, especially if you're a big name and you start to kind of create these rationalizations as to why it happened. Yeah. So that's why I try to not give so much credit even to what the writer said it was supposed to be uh, because a lot of times we do that after the fact. We just Did you ever
0: find out why she called it that? Like, did you ever look into it?
1: Uh, Oh no, no, no. Actually for that book, it was, that was the first book. I think that I was, we recorded that I was in a terrible mood <laughs> and, uh, I didn't pick that book. I think uh, my co my former co host put that on the list. Yeah. And I think she was recommended it by a friend, so she hadn't read it either. And we were just, yeah, you know, we're putting the list together. Let's let's read it. You know, everything goes, fair yeah. game. I, I'll read anything. You know, I'll read it and, and engage with it. And that was when I just kind of got started going on rants about Instagram poetry <laughs> and like how bad it is. And but it is the thing that everybody, if people are consuming poetry now, they're probably consuming the Instagram poetry. Yeah. And there is a lament about that, but oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have my feelings on that, but what can I do about it? <laughs> I guess just mm-hmm. podcast to save the world. From... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <save> the world. <laughs> I mean, That's awesome. What got you into poetry?
0: Well, the like, I mean, if we aren't talking about like Shel Silverstein and Doctor Seuss, I would say the first like real poetry that I got was Edgar Allan Poe. Like Edgar Allan Poe is the only person who was like really taught in my, the school I went to, like the schools I've been to, that was like the constant. Like no matter what, like yeah. elementary school, junior high, yeah. high school, college, it was like Edgar Allan Poe is what you're fucking gonna learn. You know, At we're belly, gonna go over this, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was like kind of my first like love. I remember when the Doors movie came out. Um, I got Jim Morrison's Wilderness and I remember there was one poem in there that I really liked that I read over and over again but I can't remember what it is and I don't remember anything else about the book and when uh, I this like junior high age like I was like telling my family like I'm really into poetry now like I'm really digging this and so like um I got like a Robert Frost collection and like a Longfellow collection and um just a bunch of other more like pre them like classical stuff and it was okay i I didn't like go over the moon about it, but the Iliad was a huge thing in school for me, and then um catterbury Tales like I oh, loved yeah. that and um then tried to get into Milton and um all that shit. Then I think, like, and, like, I get annoyed when people say stuff like this, but it makes total sense. But, like, then the poets that really spoke to me were, like, um punk bands. You know, like, I got into Black Flag, and it was, like, my whole fucking world turned upside down.
1: Right. Yeah. And,
0: um nirvana came out and i got into that i I just felt like those words were being spoken to me instead of me having to consume someone else's words is the best way to say it and because i was in a band after i became an adult and everything and that was like my life like there wasn't a whole lot of poetry in my life until i sat down and just like for a minute and was just like okay and then like just in reading like that's how everything fell back into it
1: yeah i love that i love that i like the same thing i mean it's funny like even in my mfa like the venn diagram of people that are interested in writing or poetry and then the people that were in bands you know in teen years into yeah. adulthood very big you know almost a circle for a lot of oh for sure of artsy yeah. artsy people right we're in that scene you know, you're know, you getting tattoos you're you're listening to this music that your parents hate or or not even punk not that many people like it until like the 90s when it kind of went that green yeah. day style blink 182 mainstream with a popular element to it you know oh, for uh, real yeah and i'm in you know i'm a millennial so i fucking love green day and all that uh, i'm a harry potter guy you know <laughs> but yeah for same for yeah. me like It was music. It was music. I'd never read a fucking poetry book apart from like, you know, being taught the shit you get taught in school. And I hated it, you know, didn't Mm -hmm. care, didn't even know how to read it. And then it was like these lyricists, these, these, yeah, Kurt Cobain. I mean, if you just read some of those lyrics that Kurt Cobain wrote, fucking incredible like Mm. incredible images like yeah he was definitely reading poetry (laughs) like he was reading those and like he was
0: reading the poetry for me (laughs) for sure
1: yeah yeah. really into the indie rock scene when i was in college and like modest mouse still one of my Mm. favorite bands isaac brock's lyrics i think he's one of the best in the business at writing lyrics even though their last couple albums were a little falling off but like you know That run they had, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, every fucking song, he's having poetry in there. Mm -hmm. And then you get into college and you're just kind of like, Bukowski, that you can do this, you know, that this can be poetry. And then you just kind of starts to snowball, you know, into one thing after the other. I love it. I love hearing when people get into poetry through music because they're they're different things, but they're not unrelated, you know, there's overlap. You're For real. reciting a, a rehearsed kind of carefully art carefully placed list of words in this order specific order to give people that feeling that yeah that, that meaning behind it.
0: I think a um, lot of it too is the length. Like, can you convey x amount of emotion in x amount of time?
1: right you know yeah, yeah, um,
0: yeah. that and that was like kind of a big thing for me for sure you know um because as far as like like literary influences go like i like around the same time when i'm like listening to a bunch of punk and i'm like listening to nirvana and the whole fucking thing um is when i picked up naked lunch cuz that movie was going to come out soon right And um, I picked that book up, and completely blew my mind because like I had just never seen anything like that before, and like I couldn't believe the words I was looking at, and I felt like I was doing something bad. Like I was like, "Is anyone watching me? Like should like I be looking over my shoulder when I'm reading this?" You know, some
1: of those images I'll never forget. Some oh my fucking god, dude! The whorehouse descriptions, yeah, yeah, just. Like you Just, can put that in a book, oh, like yeah, you know, for real. Like, and uh, then, like
0: honestly, like later in life when I found out, uh, like oh yeah, this book up, busted for obscenity, it's like yeah, no fucking shit, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course it did, especially but, in uh, the fifties. Yeah. yeah, no shit. <laughs> and I, but like that blew my mind. And then Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, blew my mind. And um, but Breakfast of Champions, Breakfast of oh, Champions yes. was the book. Like I got fucking the butthole tattoo. On my finger wow. um, <laughs> but um, like breakfast of champions fucked me in a way that like nothing ever had before and I think a lot of it had to do with like the satire is amazing but how simple it's like hey I'm gonna talk to you like you're from another fucking planet and you're a complete right. fucking idiot and you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and I'm gonna fucking t- tell you some very complicated shit yeah. in a fucking very childlike way right you yeah. dumb fuck listen to me this is how it is and i just like i i don't know dude like i felt like vonnegut was like my grandpa for a long time you know I'm like glad you
1: brought it up i love vonnegut he's oh, literally my, if i had to pick god. favorite writers vonnegut is the reason i wanted to be a writer exactly champions is my favorite it's oh my best. god dude Thanks.
0: Yeah. Like most people won't say Breakfast of Champions, and I'm like, no, dude, Breakfast of Champions is better than Slaughterhouse Five. Shut yeah. your fucking mouth. Listen I'll say up. it too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I would also say Breakfast of Champions the funniest novel ever written. Oh, it's like hysterical. Show, show, yeah. Show me a funnier book than this. Like, is this funnier? Like. Even like the ones that were known for humor, you know, like, yeah. like Dickens had some funny jokes in his, but like, it's not as funny as Vonnegut. <laughs> no, and that's the Vonnegut's funny thing, because like yeah. people
0: will say like, oh, dude, you got to read this book. It's hysterical. I'm like, oh, have you read Breakfast of Champions? <laughs> and I'll give him Breakfast of Champions. And like sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. But Breakfast right. of Champions is the one book that I bought more than any other book because I would read a copy of it and beat the shit out of it, read it all the fucking time and then give it to somebody and then never get it back. And so like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm off to get another copy of this. Right. But like, that was like my catcher in the rye, you know, that was the thing. Like I took with me everywhere I went, you know, back when people would carry a book with them everywhere they fucking went, you know, it's just like, you could open it up to any passage and just start reading and fucking completely no matter how many times you read it just be entertained and like learn something you know like every time i read that book i feel like a dumbass
1: you know there's (laughs) always
0: something i'm like i've read this book how many times and i'm just hearing this now like what the fuck is oh but yeah so that got me on a huge want to get kick but that got me into writing and wanting to fucking create and shit but like I mean, I've gone through everything now, but um, for the longest time, it was like Breakfast of Champions, Slapstick, Sirens of Titan. Yeah, Sirens um, of Titan. got to have that in there. Yeah, yeah. dude. Um, and then I think Mother Night was my least favorite. Um,
1: uh, Cat's Cradle in there? Cat's. Cradle. Oh, yeah.
0: Cat's Cradle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for real. And then um, there is like Player Piano. I didn't think was a great book, but there's one chapter in Cat's Cradle. That just um, brought me to tears. I'm trying to yeah. remember what it was. It was, um, I think it was, there was a family, and it has that same kind of thing from Welcome to the Monkey House where people have to like put stuff on them. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I can't remember. Dude, and like, do you think about like what Vonnegut would think right now?
1: Oh, he would be eviscerating. He would be like, writing columns in the new yorker that eviscerate oh. everybody and like talk about how ridiculous everyone's being oh my fucking god yeah. dude oh. And just like breakfast of champions like one of the simple things that i think just works and only vonnegut could get away with this like if i tried to do it it wouldn't work all these other writers try to do it it wouldn't work yeah. every character's penis size is mentioned i was like, every... good. <laughs> like every single character is like his penis is this large you never can tell you know like whose penis gets large and who has a small like, oh kind my of... fucking
0: god that's and it's so just, good
1: it is just a constant very simple reoccurring almost like you said childlike like this is locker room like kind of like a uh, simple and, easy joke but it works and, and it this is a wide open time. beaver yeah. you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's
0: funny because like he does those things with things that we think are silly like penis size what a beaver is and then he's like and this is a nazi flag this is what it looked like and so like and this is a gun and it can like make someone not live anymore and here's why and like but it's like those things wouldn't have worked on that level if he didn't do the little things in the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's fucking brilliant, dude. It's such a fucking good book, man. Edgar Allan Poe, like back to that. Like yeah. I thought all poetry had to be gothic. Like I'm like, "Oh, that's what poetry is." So it's it, you know, this is what it is. It's got to be like really sad. Some chick's dead, you're really upset about it. You might have been the one that killed her. Who fucking knows? Who cares? You probably have syphilis. Let's, like, just keep going with this, right? (laughs) So then I started, like, trying to find, like, probably, like, 18-ish. I'm trying to find every gothic book that I could find to try to get the same feel. And because I'm going to, like, there's no internet. I can't figure this shit out. I have to just, like, dig. I start going to all these used bookstores that have gothic sections. And the gothic section at a used bookstore are romance novels from the yeah. 60s. <laughs> and I, so I buy all these books. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is so that, um, that pretty much took me out of that. And then because I'm, um, a big pulp fan, like weird fiction fan.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Like,
0: um, like Clark Ashton Smith and H.P. Lovecraft. And are you a, are Bobby you a Ross Howard. McDonald fan? Um, yeah, but I think other people did it better.
1: Yeah, I'm you know, a huge Ross, Ross like, McDonald guy.
0: Like, do you like um, Raymond Chandler at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, i read like, all his. Like, with Ross Lady McDonald. Lady in the Lake. Yeah, Lady in the Lake, dude. It's, it's my favorite. one in my, yeah, it's, oh, his, it's his best one. Fucking
1: yeah.
0: this fucking guy, <laughs> this fucking guy, dude. Oh, shit. Do you know how many fucking arguments I've gotten into over
1: fucking um,
0: people saying The Big
1: Sleep or fucking um, The Long the Goodbye? The Big Sleep. Uh, the Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye get a lot of reputation because the uh, movies that were made from... And they're so not like even they're, good! right? Yeah, Those yeah, movies yeah.
0: are really fucking
1: bad, dude! Even The Long Goodbye gets overpraised by, like, L.A. people because it's uh, about L.A. You know, oh, like, he was it, the dude. L.A. crime writer, you know Yeah, I
0: mean? no, dude. Fucking Lady in the yeah. Lake. And that's the crazy thing, too, because, like, a lot of the Lady in the Lake bits um, are about, like, Big Bear, like, where I lived when I was up in the mountain. And so, like, like running springs is a name of a town coming up the road. And in that book, he called it like babbling something. You know, like everything had like a weird different little name. But then he would say, like, I crossed the dam and I'm like, Oh, I know where that is. And then he would like say something else. I'm like, Oh, I know where that is. And so I'm like going through my town trying to find all this shit. But no, Lady in the Lake is fucking amazing. That is such a fucking good book. But oh yeah, like, so I I prefer um
1: like philip marlowe to like lou archer you know what i'm saying lou archer is a little his moral backbone i can see is why people go to uh uh the philip marlowe more than lou archer because lou archer has a little bit more morality to him okay he's not willing to do certain sleazy things you know like he doesn't want to sleep with the girl even though he does sometimes you know so maybe that it's not as kind of gritty and it's a little later, you know, Chandler was kind of before yeah. McDonald and all those guys, but what you said about the depressing aspect in like the Gothic style that you were introduced to with, with Poe mm-hmm. and all that funny story. Uh, when I was teaching, I was really as assisting as a grad student, my mentor, uh, one of her undergrad poetry workshops in grad school. And you know, it was probably like 15 undergrad kids that had all varying degrees. Some were just taking it because, you know, it's a class. Some were taking it because they actually were curious. Some actually mm-hmm. had some background and loved poetry already. But there was a reading by uh, you know, a visiting writer, Rodney Jones, the poet, was the was the visiting writer. he's great. He actually, I had a great chance to talk with him very cool guy and he had a lot of nice things to say about my work but he uh gave a reading and i had my I had the students come i was like you know if you go to this reading tonight on campus bring me a one-page reflection on it you know and you get extra credit or whatever yeah not everyone did but a couple of them did and this one girl she's you know a little southern cajun girl that lived in that small town her whole life she uh, wrote this great essay about it where she was just like, you know, every time I go to a poetry reading, she's like, why is it so depressing? Like, why is it always so sad? Like, isn't anybody happy? Can anybody write like some positive fucking poems? And I gave her, I was, I gave her extra points for that. I was just like, this is one of the best observations Mm -hmm. I've seen an undergrad make like about this, like good for you. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. so true. Like there's, yeah, and there is this like, even like you get the poet's lives, writer's lives, we romanticize mm-hmm. them into oblivion. We romanticize yeah. the drug use. We romanticize the kind of being a shitty person. Uh, and that's always kind of after the fact too, right? Like Edgar yeah. Allan Poe, like, was he a great guy? No, this guy no. was addicted to opium. Yeah. Like this guy was, you know, and really his short stories are better than most of his poems, you know? Uh, oh yeah, dude. But, and then all those pulp guys, the other thing about those pulp guys they took it very seriously. Yeah, you know, Stephen King gets a lot of shit and I'll always defends Stephen King in certain places because he takes it seriously. Even though he's a little corny, he's got a little mm-hmm. dad joke stuff to him, you know. Take it seriously. Like these guys, you could tell they loved Hemingway. Like Chandler's stuff is so clean. McDonald's yeah. stuff is so clean. There's not like little extra flourishes. There's not like indulgent little personal things that they felt they had to include. Like there were just and if you read some of those letters, like these guys were fucking competitive, like they oh, were, fuck like, fuck yeah, dude. Like McDonald like hated I, being compared to Chandler. Like he wrote essays to like the Atlantic, being like, "Stop comparing me to Chandler." Like, kind yeah, of like just kind of. That's
0: the greatest thing is back in the day when the only communication people had, like the closest thing to social media, was the letter section in a magazine, right? Like. <laughs> And you just see these motherfuckers like, like, cause the people who write in the fucking magazines and shit would send letters in, like talking shit on other people who wrote fucking shit. And like Lovecraft and Howard would go back and forth in fucking weird tales before they started, um, corresponding. And I don't know if you've read this, but like their letters, um, going back and forth with, um, Civilization versus uh, barbarism is like one of the most fucking amazing, like correspondence that you could ever fucking imagine. It's just like they're like just gutting each other, you know, and like right. there was a mutual respect, but right, like, yeah,
1: yeah, they all these motherfuckers took it seriously as shit, you yeah, know. I mean, and, way, yeah, and they famously would get pissed at bad reviews and stuff and be writing angry letters to the yeah. reviewers and the papers. And- See
0: that. Uh, th- th-
1: I don't know where I stand on that because
0: like when I hear like, Oh, somebody didn't like my review. Cause that just like makes me think of like when people get on Goodreads, like, and they're like, Oh, this book was crap. And then the author's like, Oh fucking dare you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's your book and all this other shit. It's just, it's hysterical. But like, um, I don't know, dude.
1: Like it does come off. It's hard for it not to come off as sour grapes, you oh, know, for real. When yeah. Somebody's criticizing your work. If you want to be a professional artist, you just have to accept it. You know, like people yeah. are going to criticize it and hopefully some people praise it too, but you know, mm-hmm. it's not a guarantee. And it just usually, if you try to be, ah, well, you know, you, what was it recently? There was a Goodreads blow up, and I'm not on Goodreads. I don't fuck with it. It's just another thing that I'm like, I don't. Yeah, want I just to deal walked that, away but... from that a while ago. Yeah. Cause there's a blow up every fucking week on this stuff. And it's like, somebody it's always about somebody said, somebody said, it's like, I don't care what these, like like these people said, like you can post whatever you want on this website. Like the author responding just is always a bad look, like it's like, it's like, um, it's like when you're a professional sports player, right? Like, or something, people are shouting shit at you from the stands. Like, yeah. you suck, you know, like, you can't hit that kind of thing. For Baseball stadiums, it's probably the best because you can actually hear it. And, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, the players can actually turn around and, like, hear you. like. But, like, they can't react. Like, they, if they react, it looks worse on them. And it For sounds real. like, dude, you're a famous player. You're getting paid millions to play. Like, if you can't handle people shouting shit at you, From the stand you know what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and that's
0: why Twitter cracks me up. Like Twitter is like (laughs) a fucking shitstorm of that crap, you know. Like, (laughs) and but the funny thing is, it's like a car crash, so everyone's gonna go look at it, and like, but that's when I'm just like, where where do you stop, right? You know, like when do you say like it's like going back to what you were talking about about like identity shit, like. There are some people when you like criticize their work, like they'll just call you a something for right. thinking that in the first place. Like, not that you could have had a clear thought of what you thought about somebody's work, right. but that now you are a somethingist for right. like saying that.
1: That you're not talking about the work, you're talking about the person, right? Exactly. It's like this conspiracy theory that you hold these deeply held beliefs or something that you're keeping secret and nobody, you know, and yeah, it's usually, I mean, it's because the identitarian stuff, it's taken over the entire field. Like there is no way, especially if you go into the academy, it's worse in the academy than it is in kind of the circles of like, you know, the DIY guys online, like us doing our stuff. Like it's definitely worse there, but you know, it's everywhere. And there is, I call it conspiracy because it is like, it's this kind of conspiracy of like, you can't just not like it. There has to be like a deep seated reason, like some ism inside you that is making you not like it. Like it's just, and that's why I say like, it is narrowing, like it narrows the scope. And now I think it's a disservice to the author too. Cause we're trying to engage fairly with the work. And then if we're saying, Oh, anybody who doesn't like this is, you know, whatever, a racist or something, that's the reason you don't like it. Yeah, It's like, well, you're insulting the author too, kind of secondhand by saying that people aren't going to engage with his work fairly or their work fairly, you know, like, and it does, it just, it's it's a cloud over everything right now. And I think it makes people very afraid it makes the art suck it makes the kind of self-censoring that we're seeing everywhere and not even self-censoring but like publishers will cut out certain things of your books certain descriptions because they're worried about that those those accusations flying around is like well only a horrible person could think up this thing and then it gets back to like, you know, we don't, when you're creating something, there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason for it, right? Like you just kind of do it because it feels right in the moment. And then. Do you think that clouds the
0: judgment of who publishers are actually putting out?
1: Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Like, do
0: they want to put out somebody who is above reproach in that sense? Or do they want to put somebody out who can have fair, like, reviews about them?
1: Um. I think reviews in like the big five presses that are putting out the books that, you know, everybody wants, everybody wants to deal with one of the big five presses, Uh, you know, the New York publishing houses that are the big, big five, big four. Now, although I guess they, the government shut down that deal with Simon and Schuster and Random House, but. uh, Oh, so that's not happening now. As of right now, it's on hold. I'm assuming it's going to be lobbied into existence, but yeah. the government is saying that it's monopolizing and too big, but, you know, there's ways around that. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they have an army of lawyers that are going to get around Fuck that yeah. because yeah. uh, they want to consolidate because they're trying to milk the profits. And that's understandable from their perspective. I think, you know, they follow the trends, they're trend chasers. So they're not necessarily setting the trend or even if it's not like, I don't think it's like a conscious thing, where people are trying to be like, oh, we can only put out this type of thing or this type of writer or this type of work. I think, you know, they're clearly well-intentioned. They're trying to uh, do good in the world, I think, is their motivation for obsessing over stuff like this, the kind of identitarian stuff. And there's that aspect of they think they're making up for past atrocities kind of thing, uh, past exclusion uh which is very real everybody knows Yeah, <laughs> you just have to read a history book and you know uh but uh i don't know i mean i think it's it clouds their judgment for sure because they're obsessed with getting a particular type that's an interesting thing too where it's part of this where like now it doesn't matter what you write you're forced to take a position on something other than the writing you know yeah and they like they kind of force writers to do this in a way where it's like well yeah you wrote a book that doesn't have anything to do with this necessarily but where do you stand on this hot button political issue you know well i mean
0: that's how a lot of fucking articles are being written right now like yeah. i just i did a episode the last episode i did like it was supposed to be about um poetry has lost its violence and how censorious assholes are doing all this stuff and the article had nothing to fucking do with any of that it was just like here's our clickbaity fucking title right so like here uh, uh, like they gave up even trying to find people to write the shit that they wanted to have in the fucking magazine in the first place and now it's just like we will take any mundane fucking milquetoast
1: fucking article and put it on here and then say i don't know Woke. Obviously, they use like chat GPT to get those articles <laughs> or whatever. They just like write them out with like a clickbait headline and they're like, Yeah, read it. And people click um. it.
0: And that is where the podcast vasectomy will happen. Okay. I snipped it there. We cut. Okay. And in about another episode or so, you'll hear the finale of this epic conversation I had with Andrew Woodset. So again, go give Heavy Board a sub on Instagram, on probably Twitter, I don't know if they're on Twitter, and on YouTube, okay? And then you can run over to Patreon if you want to support them even harder, okay? Um, And then as far as the thank yous, we have a bunch of new thank yous to do, so let's just fucking get into this. So here we go. Let's do some fucking shout-outs. I want to give a big thank you to all you motherfuckers over there on Patreon. I want to give thank you to Michael, to Cedar, to Harry, to Monse. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. And then over there in the YouTube thank you crew, I want to give a big thank you to Patrick, to Britt, to Jan, to Deb, to Ethan, to Julia, to our newest members, Lauren and Jason. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Um, and then over in the Anarchy crew, I want to give a big thank you to Bunny, to Nate, to Minnie, to Thomas, to Tim J, to Shaylin, to Tim G, to Chill Baby, to Tamara, to Adam, to Chase, to JH, and to Jessica. Thank you so much. And then for the burgers of the motherfucking thank yous, that goes over to the number one chappy in the chat book of the month club, as here of Caitlin. Thank you so much. You are awesome. And. I hurt you okay so thank you for that so everyone who's new um over on patreon too monse thank you so much um and the new folks in the thank you crew you guys are the shit so thank you guys and if there's anything i can do for you be sure to let me know and i will do my darndest to make you smile okay so with all that said run over to etsy check out all the stuff keep buying our books support poetic anarchy type hard everybody and I will talk to you all later. I just want to give a quick thanks to those people who will make these videos possible. Anarchy Creo and my followers on Patreon. I appreciate the hell out of you guys. Thank you so much for keeping me going to keep this content possible. You guys are awesome. And if you'd like to join the crew with the Anarchy Crew, just hit the join button beneath this video. And if you'd like to become a member of my Patreon, you can run over to the link down below to do that as well. Thank you.